Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is preacher Jason Roberts of the Hooverson Heights Church of Christ in Fallensby, West Virginia. Jason has attended Rock Solid Revivals in his area over the past several years, but this is the first opportunity that we've had just to sit down and visit, and we're sitting at his church. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm holding a revival this week at, uh, uh, where am I holding a revival at? Wellsburg this week, uh, but yeah. then you're in Dutch Fork next week. No, I'm not at Wellsburg. No, you're not. You're at um, West Liberty. West Liberty. There's so many churches in this area, and I'm at one and then another, and I get confused. Yeah, you got a bunch of them bunched up around here, like not too far away. Oh, that's right. That's easy to get confused. So you were up at West Liberty with us, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see you again uh, at Dutch Fort next Mm -hmm. week over in Pennsylvania. But uh, anyway, I'm just happy to sit and visit with you and learn a little more about you. So, Brother Jason, tell us your story. Well, okay. I, I assume you're looking for the long story, so sure, as long go as ahead. Give me time here. I'll go through the long story. Well, I, I was born and raised in southeastern Ohio, a small town called Malta. Now, some people would say Pennsville, Ohio. Well, there's we were right on the line there from where I was born and grew up there. So that's my background. Very rural community. Um, you'd have to drive a ways to get the the next person to the next neighbor. Um, when I was growing up, you had to drive 40 minutes to the nearest, well, back then, Hearts or Kmart. Uh, it was just that far away out there. So we were really rural area there. Um, actually, you had to drive 30 minutes to the nearest McDonald's, even back then. So um, it, very rural area where I grew, grew up on. We grew up on a farm, uh, a farm that was kind of conjoined between my parents' farm and my grandparents' farm, just going back and forth. Um, we just lived across the holler from each right. other there, I, and so being from Arkansas, I, you know, growing up there, I understand what a holler is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you just want to visit the grandparents, hop on a tractor, you can just be there in ten minutes. Right. <laughs> so that's what I grew up with. Now, as for any church background, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, far as I can remember, to my younger days, uh, my dad definitely didn't go to church. Uh, my mother didn't go to church until later on, and I'm thinking like maybe eight years old, she yeah. started going to church. Of course, she went to the church her mother attended, which was in Porter, Porterville, Ohio, and uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but my mother started to be the piano player, organist there, and started to do the music for them every Sunday morning and two Wednesday nights, I think it was. Um, I didn't really catch on to that. So I would stay back on the farm until I started to realize that um, when my dad wanted to do heavy chores, typically on Sunday mornings, like cleaning out the barns, yeah, I didn't feel like cleaning out the barn that day. Hey, Mom, can I go to church with you? So... That's how I got out of chores once in a while. So it worked out for the most part there. You know, I got a yard work doing that. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad uh, worked seven days a week, and yard work day was Sunday. Yeah. So when he quit going to church and started doing yard work, I just said, I, I want to go to church. Mm-hmm. And isn't that odd how God uses things like that to yeah. <laughs> reach us? Yeah. yeah. Well, i got to say, not a whole lot stuck during that time there. Um, the only thing that really stuck, and this is weird, is the word tabernacle. There was a Sunday school going on there, and I was in there. And I guess that word tabernacle just sounded funny to me, and it just got impressed in my head there. But huh. The only thing I really remember from going to church there was that word tabernacle. Wow. And so, uh, if by any chance Jerry Ross of Main Street Church of Christ listens to this, it was his dad that taught that class, Lee Ross. So, in case he listens to this, I want him to know that. Now, the Main Street Church of Christ is in what town? McConnellsville, Ohio. Okay, I don't. I, I may have missed that, but I don't think you actually said where that church was. Yeah, not yet. Oh, okay, yeah. so. Yeah, I'm trying to work up there. And I yeah, and we, you and I had spoken about that the other night, so I knew what town it was, and I'm a, I'm a little bit familiar with the church there. Right. Yeah. So that was my youth going through there, and really, 
I can't say the church had much impression on me at that time. Just never did. So, going into my adult years, graduating 1996 from Morgan High School, uh, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I uh, started to go to uh, what was called then Muskingum Aerial Technical College, um, majoring in uh, what was called then Machine Tool and Die Trades. Mm -hmm. I think they upgraded that name to CNC Machining or something like that. But I actually didn't graduate there because... The company that hired me, hired me after my first year. And that was kind of a bad thing because now that I'm hired, now that I'm making the big bucks here, uh, I really don't want to finish this. Just let me work. Let me be done with this. So maybe, maybe a mistake on my part there that I didn't yeah. completely finish that degree there. But um, I worked there for 20 years. 21 years. Really? So, yeah, and I'll, get, I'll come back to that point there because it's... Very fascinating story, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And so, I turned 18, went to school till 19, got hired on, had a very nice job there, Anchor Glass Container in Zanesville, Ohio. Um, probably some bad things you can say about it, but the majority of the time there was good. So, right. just put it that way. But a uh, young male adult typically gets into trouble when the things at times, and I was not... Um, I was not exception to that rule there, so I guess we're not on the farm there and having that different lifestyle there than moving into the city of Zanesville. Kind of a culture clash, maybe, as I look back mm -hmm. on it. So just trying to fit in somewhere and go places and meet people. And uh, yeah, so there were some relationships I probably should have stayed out of, uh, events I probably should have stayed out of. Things like that. But we I mean, all have that, don't yeah, we? Yeah, that's, that's your young adult what, male. Paul said that's what you were. Mm -hmm. But but that's such as you were, but now you are changed. Right, yeah. exactly. And so I just went through all that spiel there. And it's if I can add this in, it's really sad where young men are going today. Mm -hmm. Because things I did then would be considered tame today. Yeah, for the number of things that are out there. And so um, men today just don't have direction. They don't know how to be men. They don't have male role models. Um, mm -hmm. So at least I had guys in the shop that were sort of role models to me yeah. and patterns off some of them. But today there's really not much. A young man should consider him very lucky to have a role model Yeah. today. Uh, especially a Christian role model. I'm just talking role model in general because right. it's just not. Well, no, just a, a male role model. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that we don't we don't have that as much as we used to. Right. Yeah. So continuing on, young adult years, moving on up through. Of course, I was into drinking and bars and everything else there, and uh, never an alcoholic. Wasn't the biggest fan of alcoholic drinks, but it was the atmosphere. It was the being, social. Being someplace, right. around people, there's some music playing, people laughing, having a good time, and all that stuff. So that was my young adult years going up to 25, somewhere there, going towards 30. Mm -hmm. um, then my mother became sick with cancer. And my dad was having a rough time with that. And I figured in the back of my head... I'm making the good money here. I really don't have anything attached to me here. I'm going to move back home and help take care of mom. Yeah. So that's what I did. Roughly 1999, I think it was. She died in 2001, if I remember right. So there was a year I was at the home helping take care of her. So I moved there. Probably the most serious responsibility I took on at that time. And... Yeah. uh I have absolutely no regrets taking care of her, doing things, uh, reme remedial things, day-to-day -day routine things. And uh, I was there when she took her last breath. And in the back of my mind, when I look back on that, that was a hard time, but the most memorable time there. Sure it is. Yeah. So I was there. I was there for my dad when he died, too, later when, on. When did he pass? When did he pass? 
I'd have to look. I, I threw I threw that out at you. Yeah. Okay, so ten yeah. years ago, eleven years ago. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Right. So he had a heart attack and he just never recovered from it. Oh, sorry. But mom, she had the cancer and she was uh, kidney cancer. Then it went to the liver, and that was pretty much it for her there. But in that span of time there, after she passed away, I bought a house in McConnellsville, uh, first home I had there. And as I was saying before, we're trying to get into the local night scene, the bar scene. Of course, they had this one bar there that was considered the rough bar in town. So I figured I'd hang out there. Yeah, of course. You know, for the longest time, I never had any trouble there with anybody. Now, I saw the fights going on around me and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and nothing towards me. Until sometime afterwards, some fights started to come towards me. Um, and I could hold my own, but there was this one night, I'll never forget it. It was during the week, I forget what night it was, maybe a Wednesday night. And I was just standing there, doing what I usually do there. And this scrawny little guy came up to me and said, I'm taking you outside. Now, I'm six foot tall, and at that time, probably 250 pounds, and a lot better shape than I was today. And this little guy here, probably 5'2", 100 pounds, said he wanted to take me on. And I stood there and started thinking to myself, what in the world is this? I could probably crush him. Right. What's the point? And I'm getting so tired of it just isn't fun. It's not fulfilling anymore. Right. Especially if this uh, aggression starting to come at me a little bit more often. That was the last night I ever walked in a bar. Wow. I just got sick and tired of that stuff. So now I was at a point where I gave up that stuff, but now what am I going to do? What am I going to do with everything else? So When my mother died, the... Uh, where I worked at the United Steel Workers Union. Uh, it was their thing, maybe tradition, that for any member who has a family member die, they would give a Bible to that family. And what this was, it was in a nice wood case, and it was the uh, Dove of Peace Bible, King James. Perhaps you've seen that before. Yeah. It's all white, has the picture of the dove there. So it was there, and I always kept it on a shelf there, uh, just for decoration for the most part. Well, I started getting more curious about it, so I pulled it down and started reading it, front to back, just working through that. And it just, I guess I never really realized that this was actually a book of history about things that really happened over time. And I guess I never looked at the Bible that way. I'm not sure how I looked at the Bible beforehand, really. Whether I looked at it as like a magic book or something like that. Maybe there were magic spells in it. I don't know. But I started reading front to back. And something started to change. I don't know how to explain that. But I ended up with the thought that if this book's for real, then there's something serious I need to respond to. Okay. So, after a while, I started praying, and this is something I'll never forget either. I started praying to God. God, direct me to the church that best represents you. Good prayer. Um, I prayed that for some time, two, three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was talking to other people about churches, why they're so different and all this stuff there, and why do some baptize, not baptize, uh, all this other stuff? They're so, so far apart, some of them. Uh, if you go uh, Unitarian versus Church of Christ, they are mm-hmm. miles apart on things. So that's part of the confusion there. We, this, is, this really is easy to understand. Well, you can't see what I'm touching. I'm touching a Bible here. Oh, okay. um, yeah. It's really easy to understand. Now, we can make it complicated. Right. We can get into the big words and such that, Christology and all the others there. But just on the face value, it's really easy to understand. If you just pick up and read it. Yeah. 
And you may have to read it more than once. Right. <laughs> In fact, you will have to read it more than once. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. So I was praying that prayer. And eventually I ended up at the Main Street Church of Christ. Hmm. So the best church that represents you, God, hey, I'm going to say it's Main Street. I'm going to stick to that. You can argue with me. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with you. If you can argue with me, that's fine. But that was my prayer and it was responded to. And I went in there on an evening service, Sunday evening. So You just go in by yourself? Yes. So how, I want to stop there if you don't mind me asking this. How did you feel? I mean, had you been inside of a church much at all? I mean, you said you did a little bit as, as a kid. So were you curious, a little nervous in your stomach about walking in here, not knowing what's going to happen? There, I mean, there was some nerves there. Yeah. But like I said, that prayer, right? and I'm going to follow through. Okay. So I'm going to follow through this evening service and see how it goes and feel everything out. And right. See if it relates to everything I've read here and understood. And uh, I walked there on evening service. Now, let me interject this. Any church that thinks a Sunday evening worship is uh, not worth it, my first time was a Sunday evening worship. I, I agree with you. A little more laid back, a little more comfortable, not as formal, you know. So that, that's where I started out, Sunday evening. So any church listening to this, don't completely neglect your Sunday evening worship because for right. some people, that's where they're going to start at. You know, Jason, I, I always felt like, and, and every ministry I've done, we've had good attendance on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. I know churches now, most of them we go to don't have Sunday night services except it's revival, so we have it. But I would tell my praise team uh, that you put as much effort into this as you do Sunday morning. And I'm not, I'm not doing... Uh, just putting a little bit of effort and doing a little less on Sunday night. I am preaching a sermon. I'm giving it all I've got Sunday night because these people who are coming are giving it all they've got to be here on Sunday night. And so, and I think that's what helped make Sunday night and can I use the word attractive thing for, for members to come yeah. to, but I'm, I'm so in agreement with you that, that uh, there, there is value in a Sunday night service. Right. Yeah. Well, I heard Vernon Eldred say one time, you have to make it the same quality Sunday night as you do Sunday morning. You see, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And and uh, I know just because I have followed uh, McConnellsville, the Main Street Church, on Facebook and and, and uh, him as well, the preacher mm -hmm. there, that, that he's a solid guy. Right. And and yeah, don't don't just come in here and say, well, I'm not, you know, we only have a few people. Well, you probably only have a few people because you're not making an effort to reach out to more. Right. And you're not putting quality in there. And if it's for the Lord, everything ought to be quality that we do for the Lord. Mm. Exactly. Now, I kind of got you off that. Go ahead. Oh, go that's ahead. fine. That's fine. We're here for a while. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I ended up at Main Street Church of Christ on Sunday evening. Didn't know who I'd run into or anything else. Uh, surprisingly, there were a few people I already knew in there. Uh, I remember Corey Apperson was in there. Yeah. Uh, he was somebody that, uh, he graduated a year ahead of me in high school. So he was there, and that was nice to see a familiar face there. I can recall vividly one of the deacons, Ronnie Driggs. He came, shook my hand, started talking to me, and getting to know me and such like that. Yeah. So I, I remember that one vividly. That was Ronnie. He he served as a deacon there for a number of years. Uh, top quality guy there. And then there was this guy named Bob White. Fascinating guy there. He was an elder there for a number of years. And he just had that personality. He can mm -hmm. love you and chew you out at the same time. You know, it's <laughs> weird. <laughs> Uh, so he was another one of those guys that just came up, said, hello, how you doing, who are you, and such like that. And then there was Vernon as well. So he came up and said hi and all that. <clears throat> so a good reception for somebody new there. So that's one of the things that got me to consider coming back. So uh, I sat through there, and I did the Donald Trump thing. Remember when Donald Trump thought the uh, communion tray was the offering tray? 
Yeah. When he made that. Yeah, I was kind of like that. Right. And just trying to figure out how they do things here. So right. After a while, I figured it out. It was quick to pick up there. So um, I came back the next Sunday evening. I think three Sunday evenings I came back. And then Vernon invited me to have pizza with him at Dino's Pizza there in McConnellsville. And so I took him up on that and we met there, ate and started talking about a bunch of things there. I can't remember exactly what we talked about. But I remember thinking that a preacher took time to meet me. Yeah. You know? And that was such an impression there that I guess when you look on TV, these uh, high preachers, whatever you want to call them there, uh, you think they'd have the busiest schedule and not have time to meet somebody, but uh, he did that. So we sat down, ate, and talked a lot of things there. I think baptism was a part there, and of course, uh, I think we talked about Islam a little bit there. I can't remember what all we talked about. You may, you may have had quite a few questions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, trying to think what took place after that. Uh, Vernon always had an open door to me. Um, I could call him up during the week and say, hey, you busy today? No, can I come in and chat with you? So, uh, very rarely did he say no. Of course, there were times he had his schedule. I get that. But uh, most of the time, his office was open. And I walked in, started talking about things. Uh, he started talking back, of course. And it, it just bloomed into... Uh, type of relationship there, really. Uh, so the time came, it was around January, and I started talking about being baptized. And he baptized me on January 12, 2006. I had no clue what would transpire after that. Um, you know, the guys at Main Street, they were very kind to me. They started asking me to do some prayers during worship. They started asked me to do communion meditation. Would you mind doing this next week? And eventually I got into the rotation of everything there. And uh, I was enjoying it. You know, I love doing the communion meditation there. And I forget how long it took. But Vernon had to go to another event one Sunday. And he asked if I could preach for him. Oh, my. Yeah, pretty big deal there. Yeah. Pretty big deal. So, I told him, yes, I'll give it a shot. Now, take a guess how long my first sermon lasted. Seven minutes. Ten. Oh. See, my first, my first was seven. That's why I said seven. Yeah. Yeah, I lasted ten minutes. So, okay. my topic was the Holy Spirit, which should be a lot to talk about there. But Well, that's, um, that's a pretty good first topic because so many preachers avoid that topic. Right, but uh, it went ten minutes. Everyone was still supportive on that, you know? It was wild. I thought I was a complete failure up there, but uh, everybody still patted me on the back, said, good job. And I guess everybody understood, being the first time up there, it's not going to be the perfect sermon. And uh, it was just so supportive, even with a 10-minute sermon there, that I'm not sure anyone learned anything from, but it was still the support after that. You know, I, I've, I've noticed nobody ever gets mad at a 10-minute sermon, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's true, the support, the yeah. support, and that, that had to encourage you. Well, here's the wildest thing. A lady named Joyce Malisher. She was the organist there for the longest time. Uh, very nice lady. And she was telling me the story that uh, usually she and her husband, her husband didn't go to church. But uh, usually she and her husband would meet at the Blue Bell Diner after church on Sundays, um, roughly around 12 o'clock. Well, I preached that 10-minute sermon. And so she was early. She was way early for him. And she was just sitting there waiting on him. Finally, he came in there. She said, well, you're here early. Well, yeah, we had a short sermon today. Oh, really? But it was a great short sermon. She told me that story. Wow. And I thought, wow. It meant something. Give me to a you. minute. Give me a That's minute. That's all right. Yeah. It meant something to you. It meant something it to meant you. It meant a lot. It was a turning point. Yeah. 
So I started looking for ways to get better. So I started talking to Vernon more about sermons. Uh, Hillsboro, Ohio, Person to Person Ministries, uh, I first started catching on that they did this preacher's clinic. And in fact, they're going to have their preacher's clinic in a couple weeks, May 9 through 14. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be like my 10 plus time going down there for that. And I'll always love to keep going back there. But they had guys like George Fall teaching yeah. classes. Uh, who else did they have there? I remember one time they had Glenn Bourne. And I was fascinated with Glenn Bourne when he was teaching that week, that one time there. And just a number of other guys I could name there. I think this year you got Terry Carter from Summit teaching some there. And I can't remember who else. But uh, that's been a big thing. That's one place I learned. Oh, Terry Peer. He did a class there at Hillsboro about organizing a sermon. And he had these different outline sheets that you could use there. And he explained all that. So that was like real quick, college level, get it done in three days. And I can take it back home and build on that. And so that was just great material and resources to use there as I'm trying to build this up. So sounds like you're getting excited now. Yeah. 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 I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I enjoyed that. And I had other opportunities to preach as well. Vernon would ask me to step in for him anytime he had to leave, go away there. And of course, I was still doing communion meditations and other things there. I started stepping in for Sunday school class once in a while, whenever needed there. And um, it just kept building up and just so much support there. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this or not, but um, but you're gonna go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead anyway. This might make good entertainment here or something. Um, several years after that, I was preaching more and getting better, building up the yeah. sermon time, getting up to thirty minutes, forty minutes, whatever else. And uh, like I said before, Bob White, he was one of the elders at Main Street there. Um, we were both at Hillsboro Family Camp one year, and we were sitting close together. And a preacher up on the stage, he just got done. And I'm not going to name his name. But we stood up at the end of the sermon there for an invitation. And Bob White turned to me and said, Jason, you could have done better than him. You know, it's just those little snippets of encouragement that was placed along this path there. So, eventually... I started taking classes. Now, the first round of classes I did was with the CRA, and they had a Christian Bible Institute. Christian Restoration Association. Right, right. Right. Um, I can't remember the guy that headed that program up. Uh, It was Lee Mason then with CRA, but for CBI, I can't remember who that was. And so that was correspondence. So uh, he would send the assignments, and I'd write it all up and send it back to him. He'd grade it and back and forth. So I did that for a while. Then I got introduced to Summit Theological Seminary in George Fall. And that is that is located where? That is Peru, Indiana. Peru, Indiana. Yes. I just wanted to point that out because I was in that area recently, uh, just a few weeks ago, doing a revival right. and, and passed by it. But a lot of our listeners, because we have listeners all over the world, and they wouldn't know where any of these places are. Yeah. So I always think it's good to let them know so they might want to look it up. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. So that's a Summit Theological Seminary yeah. in Peru, Indiana. Don't ask me the address. I don't know it off the top of my head. It'll be easy enough to find. Right. But I uh, started talking to George Fall there, and just his program that he has there, I got interested in. So I started with Summit. Um, I don't know why now, but I did a few classes, and then I kind of tapered off. I still can't remember why there. But... Um, in between time, um, there was a call from, not really a call, but an email sent out from Parkersburg Christian Church in Parkersburg, West, West Virginia. Virginia. Uh, George Hall, he planted that church mm-hmm. there. Uh, it was a Kiowa plant from a number of years ago when Hoyt Allen Jr. was the director of Kiowa, which means Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia. Uh, they get into church planning and right. things like that there, so that was there. He was needing help. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly what the email said and saying they were needing help with, but uh, I read that and I thought, 
Why not? So I met George a time or two before because Vernon, he got me involved with the local preacher's meeting, preacher group there, mm -hmm. uh, Church of Christ, Christian Church preachers getting together for the meetings there. So I got that, that church was interesting back that they were meeting in a converted garage. I think because I held a revival there uh, yeah. years ago, way back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, where was I at? Yeah, with the preachers meeting there, and I got to meet George Hall there a few times before that email came out. And so I figured, why not? Why not? So I talked to him, and he invited me down. Uh, pretty much, I was just uh, in attendance for a while until we feel things out, see what we can do. Uh, eventually, I started. Uh, teaching to Sunday school for a while. Then, uh, not because I wanted to, but out of necessity, I started leading the worship there. Um, I'm not a singer. I don't claim to be. But uh, I know how to, uh, how do they say it? Fake it till you make it? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what I did there. And started working with that and the PowerPoints and such like that there. And uh, his daughter came by one summer. She was living in Germany. She was teaching in Germany there. Her name's Hannah. And uh, we met her. Uh, things clicked. And eventually she became Hannah Roberts. All right. So there you I go. did not know that connection. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So Hannah and I got married because we met there. Actually, I think George actually introduced me through Facebook to her, mm -hmm. if I remember that part right. So, but still, we met and got together and things worked out and we got married later on. And during the whole time, when she would make her move back from Germany to the area here, uh, we both started working with the Parkersburg Christian Church there. Uh, she would do... So when, when were you at Parkersburg? When did you go to Parkersburg? Do you, can you recall what year that might have been? Probably 09. Okay. I'm thinking... All right. I could be off. I could be off a lot there, but that's what I'm thinking about 09. And how long did you work with the Parkersburg Church? It was on and off for six years, I think. Okay. A lot of good experience there. Yes. Yeah. And that is something else to point out. With Between Vernon and George, it's like God put two great mentors in my life there. You know, um, just guys that have been in the ministry for the longest time. I don't know how many years. But uh, everything they experienced and things that they have studied previously and sharing that. and um, So blessed with Vernon and George together, like my ultimate mentors. And even today, I can say, hey, can I call you and need a talk? Either one of them call whenever they're available and they can they still help out and you know so that's just incredible how God did that so so, so eventually I'm sorry go ahead I was gonna say you got married and mm -hmm. and uh getting children we have three kids <laughs> we have Joseph Joshua and Jonathan and they are eight six and four wow and they are doing very good well they're kind of sick today right um, they're, they're great boys there. Okay. And I didn't Hannah, mean to get you off track, but I thought you might want to tell about your family a little yeah. bit. So. Yeah, and Hannah, she does a fantastic job with everything there. So uh, with all that going on there with Parkersburg Christian Church and uh, the Vernon George connection there, I'm thinking more like preaching and, mm -hmm. you know, I want to be in this here. And so I started working more on my mind. Now, I kind of strayed away from theological seminary and doing the homework there because... Um, just uh, getting busy. Right. My, my excuse, getting busy. Right. But you can make the time for that stuff, but get that through my head there. Right. And so preaching started to become more on my mind. And I always thought it was a weird thing that Hillsborough always did this um, preacher invitation. They would have one speaker up there to talk specifically about uh, going into the ministry. And I forget who preached it that year. But then they put out the invitation for any man who wants to commit to ministry, preaching specifically what they said there, uh, come forward on the invitation. I went forward. 
I forget what year that was, but I went forward and said, I'm going to commit to preaching. And uh, after that, it was just trying to see how everything works out. Now, um, for my experience, I don't know why. I do know why. God always makes me last to, makes me wait till the last minute mm-hmm. on almost everything. It, it it drives me nuts. But waiting till the last minute on almost everything. And so I started back to school, uh, but this time I went with Central Christian College of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was looking at them, and they had a good program going there, and it was all online. Uh, so I did that for a year. Um, just got to say, some of their costs skyrocketed after a year. And I wasn't looking to put my family into debt in any way there. And so everything I did was Central Christian College of the Bible. And I'm not bumping to school at all. That great right. school. Uh, Gary Reith, Reese and uh, Lloyd Pelfrey. And those are great guys to learn from there. But uh, everything I had from Central Christian College of the Bible transferred to Summit Theological. So I went back with Summit there. Uh, I just needed something more affordable. Right. But the quality was still there. Don't forget that. And so I started working with that, and over time I started working on that biblical diploma, and I finished that. About that time, I was still working at Anchor Glass Container in Janesville. And my wife and I, Hannah, we kept talking about ministry and what to do. Uh, Do I need more schooling, more training, whatever else, talking about there. And so... Uh, how do I say this? About 21 years at Anchor Glass Container, the administrators had a big meeting with all of us, and they said, we're shutting you down. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if they said it word for word, but they pretty much said China could do it better than you guys. Oh. And so, after my 21 years there, uh, I was going to be in unemployed pretty soon. So Hannah and I were talking it over and we thought this would be, this is the opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, in a sense, God forced my hand. Um, can't say that for the other guys there. They probably weren't looking for it. But uh, yeah, it's either uh, now or probably never. That was our mentality at the time. So we started praying to God over all that and um, just kept moving forward with one church interview after another and I think we went to Indiana and tried out we went to Virginia and tried out we went to Kentucky and tried out Um, the one in Indiana and Virginia uh, they said no the one in Kentucky actually became a choice between here at Hoover's and Heights Church of Christ and the one in Kentucky Mm -hmm. so but in that meantime I was on unemployment trying to watch our money the best we can and going through the motions there of packing up, going to Indiana, Virginia, wherever, making sure the kids were okay with everything. And, uh, yeah, it's the, you know, it's the dumbest thing, though, but one of the memories I have is trying out at a church in Virginia. We got there Sunday morning, and my son, I forget which one, he threw up all over the van. I mean, literally all over the van. This was my morning of the trial sermon and everything else. Oh. I just pulled in, and it's like, the last thing I need there. I don't know why I shared that. But well, no, you know that. That's you really, well, those people don't realize what preachers' families go through sometimes. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Yeah, uh, That's a great story. I'm sure he'll never forget it. Because I hope he y'all, forgets it. Y'all, y'all may never let him forget it. I don't know. <laughs> but we were in the parking lot trying to clean everything just nasty anyway. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we were trying out for these churches, and so far they're saying no. Well, my unemployment ran out. But we had this interview with Hoops and Heights, Church of Christ, two weeks after my unemployment ran out. So I'm starting to sweat it a little bit there, you know. Now we have no income coming in. I gotta decide whether to take this at Hooverson Heights Church of Christ, that interview, talk to the guys there, or whether I got to get a job somewhere, just grab something. Right. So, after talking it over with Hannah and prayer, a lot of prayer, um, like I said, waiting till the last minute, uh, we went ahead and did the interview with the Hooverson Heights Church of Christ. 
and everything went very well. And they voted, voted us in. Two weeks after running out of unemployment, everybody saying no, and I had to come to question whether this was really the right track or not. Am I putting my family at risk there and everything else? Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, God always makes me wait till the last minute. <laughs> and that's not the only example of that, but for the time here, that's right. probably the only one I could share on that there. And so the Hooverson Heights Church of Christ, they voted us on. We got moved up here on very little money, and uh, God just blessed us and all that as well. There were no complications. The move went well. Uh, people at Main Street Church of Christ helped us packed up, and the people here at Hooverson Heights Church of Christ helped us unload it and put it in the house. Um, and uh, been here for three, almost three years. It'll be three years in July. Really? Yes. Uh, I've worked with uh, six elders here who have been tremendous since we came here, an encouraging uh, congregation here all together, and it's just been a very, very good run here. Um, like I keep telling the elders, there's so much potential up here mm -hmm. that we just, it's hard to think that your church doesn't have a chance to grow, have a chance to do more in the community and such like that. Um, so, and we are going in that direction. So, uh. well, you've got great visibility up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we were discussing before the program, beautiful, beautiful location. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's uh, not putting anything down, but down by the river, everything's so close together. Right. So, so uh, if I can say jam packed, it seems like. At that here, uh, you can go right past a church sometimes down by the river and not even see it there, mm -hmm. you know, because there's so many buildings around. But up here, you really stand stand out when you drive by it. Well, we're a pretty tall building too. I think that's we're, true. We're one of the tallest points here. Okay, um, maybe the second or third tallest point. So it's kind of hard. Uh, it's hard to miss us. Right. But uh, as for, but you can you can miss us if we're not impacting lives in the community and such like that right so, uh, it's not it's not about the building right but the building does help yes it does help if yes. you can see it <laughs> can well, you kind of have a base of operations right and this is the base of operations for this church body here right so, so uh, uh how do you see you you've been here three years yes uh do you see a uh, some good changes going on as far as outreach and, and are you reaching folks in your community? Uh, probably not as well as you'd like to because we never do. But Well, we're taking steps into that direction and there are people talking about doing different things right now. Right. We had one lady talk about doing a uh, Saturday lunch outreach to the community. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Free lunch there. Um, we're going to be hosting a BBS this summer, which will be the first BBS in a number of years. I'm not sure how many years, but uh, we're going to do things different with the BBS. We're going to have it every Monday in the month of June. We're going to break it up, right. make it more, try to make it more accessible to different families. Right. Instead of plugging your kid in every night for a whole week and they're burned out by Wednesday. And you know some of the BBS teachers and such, right. uh, by the time they get to Wednesday, they're done with it. Right. They don't want any more BBS. So we're breaking it up and having it every Monday night in the month of June. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, different seminars that we're hosting here, kind of like in a couple weeks on May 7th, uh, Bubba Fatula of Threat Preparedness, Inc. He's going to hold a seminar called Protecting Your Kids. I saw that on your Facebook page. Yes, and he's going to talk about social media dangers, uh, stuff Good. on the phone and apps and just, you know, when I was growing up, it was always the talk about the stranger offering you candy right? and the unmarked vans going around the parks. Well, you still have that, but there are so many more threats today aimed at kids and it's mostly through the entertainment, through devices, the phone, iPad, and whatever else. So he's going to be here May 7th to talk about that at 1 o'clock. It's basically 1 o'clock to 2.30, and he'll be talking about that. But that's just one thing we're doing for the community because 
I'm not saying any names, but there was a family around here that talked about their daughter was talking to an adult male through Snapchat, mm -hmm. and there was a missing girl not too long ago, two or three days ago, in the area here. And so those are very important things for today. I, I really believe my, one of my sons-in-law has been a children's minister, and He's moved into the tech ministry now, and his, his wife is the children's ministry director, our daughter. And uh, they've had these type of seminars, and they said it's amazing how many parents say, I don't need to go. My kids aren't getting into that. They, oh, they got their iPhones, and they got everything. But they don't, they don't do that. And they said all it takes is for us a few minutes say, bring me their phone, yeah, and I can show you. And, it's a, and parents are just shocked and amazed, and they need to be. I mean, if you knew that there was that there was a black car stopping in front of your house every day talking to your child, would that not concern you? It should. Yeah. This is a great program. I'm glad you're doing this. I wish every church would do this. Right. Yeah. So, so we, we got those things going on, and uh, I just can't help but feel that uh, good things are going to happen here. So, you, happen. so are you... Uh, He's still enjoying preaching yes. after three years solid. Yes. And how many times do you preach a week? Once. Once, okay. And I do a Tuesday night Bible study okay. there. Uh, so that's a lot of preparation. You know, people don't realize the hours that someone puts in. Uh, I remember someone saying that, that a person went out one day and said, uh, you know, you just ran too long today. Mm -hmm. And they didn't realize this, this guy put 25 hours in writing that sermon that week. Mm -hmm. And, and writing it to try to fit it into that amount of time. And sometimes that's the only Bible that some people who come to your church are ever going to get. Because yeah. they're not spending any time in the Bible. And shame on them for not doing it, but they're not. Right. And so the only Bible they get is what they're getting spoon-fed. And we're trying to give them everything we can. And three minutes over, and the only thing you can say is, oh, that, that was a little long. That yeah. was a little long. I try to block off one day a week just for reading. Right. And I just spend six, eight, ten hours on that one day reading. I have my uh, my select group of commentaries and such that I always refer to. Um, and I just research everything I can. Try to break down the verses down to the words and the definitions, the phrases, and the commentaries going back there to history and all that. And soon, if I can get it blocked off on that one day and just read through it, you know, the sermon writing part goes easy. So that's my practice there. I try to block off that one day. We get six to ten hours reading, research into it, then go for it, type it out. I used to like to get away from the office um, uh, when we lived in Arkansas. Beth was my secretary. My wife was a secretary, and she knew on a certain day I would drive up to the, to the lake, mm -hmm. and I had a big, big pad, and I would sit there, and sometimes I would be, I would be laying out my sermons for the next six months, and I would just get a title, and maybe on a few of them I'd get a, I'd get a point or two just, just down, and then I would go back up and and uh, take a few hours uh, every week to get away from the office where the that's before we had cell phones, mm -hmm. and where I wouldn't be bothered by the phone or anything else, and I could just sit there and really concentrate with no interruptions, and uh, that's that, that's important. Well, during the COVID time, I learned that I had to get away from the office because I have a home office. Mm. And with my three boys and a dog home during that shutdown time, there was no peace over there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that like they're at each other's throats every day. Some days it were. But it's just a general noise and everything. I couldn't concentrate over there. Right. So I'm either mobile, moving around, or I'm actually uh, in the church building itself. I come over here. Uh, Perfectly good setting, quiet, peaceful, good prayer time there, and yeah, it just works out there. So yeah, um, I'm either in the office a few hours a week, coming over here to a church building a few hours a week. Best thing about working in a church building, uh, people walk through in here doing different chores, whatever, and just having that opportunity to talk to them, where otherwise if I was over there, I wouldn't. So that's been an advantage over here. And uh, just going to a library here and there and studying there and talking to different people along the way. So it's been beneficial more ways than one. 
it's interesting your the path you've come, Jason. That uh, just looking to be sociable, going to bars, and and then it just it just hits you. What what am I doing here? What am I you know what what is the meaning of all this? It it caused me to think about a fellow um, by the name of Noel Shaw. I don't ever heard of Noel Shaw. Uh, lived in the in the mid. 1800s. He was a Christian church preacher, but he played he played his fiddle. He was called on an all-time place fiddle at big dances, and one night in the middle of a dance, he stopped and said, "I can't do this anymore. I've got to preach the gospel," mm-hmm. and walked away. And in the next 20 years, before he was killed in a train wreck, he uh, baptized over 20,000 people in those 20 years. And he just said, what, what's the purpose of this? And by the way, he wrote Bringing in the Sheaves. Okay. So next time you, you yeah, have your hymn book open and you see the song Bringing in the Sheaves, and that's a Christian church preacher right there. Yeah. But uh, it, it's just, it, it's amazing uh, how God turns us aside. And, and there are so many people in this world, Jason, that are lonely and looking for something they they don't know what they they feel like they're walking around in a maze somewhere i you're going to find this interesting probably kind of funny i i'm i'm preparing a new series in my mind and as a part of this preparation i i downloaded the words of neil diamond's song <laughs> i am i said i don't know if you ever heard it it's you're, you're sure. probably too young for that but one of the things he says in that song i'm lost and don't even know why yeah. And and uh, another thing he talked about, I, 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 I am, I said, uh, but no one was there. No one heard a word I said, not even the chair. Mm-hmm. And that's how uh, so many people are just lost like that. Yeah. They don't know. And uh, they, they're they all around us, Jason. And we need to look for those opportunities to, to say to someone, let me tell you about my life, mm-hmm. about my resurrection from the dead yeah. you know what happened to me well there's been research done that uh, basically people are lonelier than they ever been yes now um there was a lot being said in some of that research about social media how uh it was intended to connect people but <laughs> it actually distanced people absolutely because now yeah. we're not face to face and personal yeah, uh, we can just send a quick message to somebody if we want to know something or whatever else. Right, uh, we're not as personal, face to face as we used to be. Uh, we're distance, but yet everybody keeps coming to the social media stuff, uh, thinking that's a great way to connect. When it really works the opposite way, we disconnect. Right, like that best way to connect is is looking somebody in the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course we can get. It's great that we can share the gospel around the world right. through through social media and, and and just various ways that we're doing it now, and that that's great. But there's a lot of drawback to that too, and uh, we we just need to realize the loneliness that that this world is. And people who are locking themselves in rooms and they're playing on games, mm-hmm. grown adults playing on games for for eight, ten, twelve hours a day, right. and not talking to anyone mm-hmm. and uh, the, these people are out there Jason we've got to find we got to find more Jasons <laughs> we got to we got to be out there looking for them because yeah. there are more uh, great Christians that God's going to use and there are more preachers out there who are still in the bars who don't know they're going to be a preacher exactly they don't know that God has called them to that mm-hmm. and a lot of these people aren't going to just say I'm going to pick up that Bible and read it, or I'm going to walk into that church building Sunday night. They're, they're not going to do it. They need someone to, to come up to them and tap them the shoulder right. and, and say, hey, how you doing? Let me talk to you about how I'm doing and why I'm doing this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you've been at this for uh, full-time, three years, right. uh, basically three years. Uh, so I don't know what you might have to say about this, but where our time is running down, uh, but I do like to ask this question when I have a minute. Uh, what do you what do you see from your viewpoint here in West, on this hilltop in West Virginia uh, as maybe the greatest challenges in your mind that are facing uh, 
the church or individual Christians or preachers going forward from today? Oh, boy. You, you could probably bring up a lot of stuff there. You can take any one or all three together as a group. Mm. I, I don't care. But uh, as for our greatest challenge as church altogether, we, we, we need to remember we're in competition here. I mean, you go along the northern panhandle of West Virginia, and pretty much every Church of Christ Christian church you stop at has the same story. 50 years ago, we ran 10 to 300, mm-hmm. but now we're 50, 70. What happened during that time? Well, you got people busier than ever. You got people more distracted than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the priority of the church and Jesus Christ got kicked down a little bit. Um, of course, you can hear people talk about how they have sports on Sunday mornings and whatever else. Right. Well, you got people that don't have that. And it's just, uh, it got taken down the priority, and that's what we're competing with. We're competing with the baseball on Sundays, stuff like that. We're competing with other events that are going on in community, because um, this community has a lot of events that go on throughout the year. And so how do we get a church event to stick in there, you know? Um, This is competition, and I'm not so sure Christians are prepared with a competitive mindset there. Uh, William Willeman, uh, and I forget who the other author was, wrote a book uh, some time ago, uh, and they, they talk about the fact that they grew up, their parents didn't worry about whether or not they would be Christians, that uh, the church was the only show in town. Mm-hmm. And the church and the schools and, and the government worked as a national consortium to instill Christian values. And that's changed. And you know, you're a lot younger than me and younger in the ministry than me. And I would say that you are reaping the harvest of the failure of my generation in the church to stand up to the schools and the sports teams and say, no, my kid is a star player on your team, but they will not be there on Sunday. They will not be there on Wednesday. we're, this is what we do. This is what Christians do. And you're reaping the, it's not your fault that's happened. You're reaping the harvest of the generation before you that didn't stand up and say that. Just like we reap the harvest of the generation from the 60s who didn't stand up against Madame Merle Hare when, and, yeah. and say to the government, no, you're not taking prayer out of school. And so it just, it just keeps, you know, it comes on down the line and we're all reaping that. But uh, now, well, I don't know how predominant it would be, but think my generation would be the generation that predominantly said I'm not going to raise my kids like my parents raised me yeah. and you probably have some of that filtered into the right. mix as well Sure. Uh, my parents said no to Sunday extracurricular activities well I love my child so much I'm going to give it to them right. you know you have some of that as well so it's not just it, it's not just one generation, it's multi-generational how it gets to a failing point. Chances are your child is not going to be a sports star. But no chance no chance about this at all. Your child is going to end up in heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to consider. Do you have anything else you want to add? We're just right down to the, almost down to the wire. It, our, I think I've said enough, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Well, you said plenty, and, and uh, one of the things that I Let me I just heard... say this. I'm sorry. I didn't go ahead, go ahead. Off. Let me say this. The question gets asked, what do we do about churches that need preachers? Uh, what do we do about empty pulpits like that? My example and the mentors I had, you can't forget the basics of discipleship. You got to teach someone to be a preacher. You got to train them. Mm-hmm. You got to mentor them. Job shadowing, even. Um, yes. I have some of that going in there. If you want a preacher, go make one. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. And uh, that's some, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something that our ministry is really working on right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, uh, uh, well, I won't go into it because we're out of time. But anyway, we. This is so important. I'd, I'd say to the preachers who are listening, uh, find that young man in your church or several of them and, and start a Timothy class 
and begin training them to be preachers while they're in junior high so that when they're, uh, when they're adults, even if they're not full-time preachers, they might fill in, in the pulpits for other churches and certainly can help your church. So uh, be out there looking for them. Well, we're going to have to go. Okay. So uh, until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye. And may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. <laughs>